Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, coming to you from Cat Swamp Road over in Warren County, New Jersey. And God willing, everything is going well for you, and I know the good part of a majority of the country is being or was hit by the time this show drops with some extreme cold and a lot of snow. So God willing, you guys made it through that uh, without too much issues. I know a lot of power outages were pre- are predicted because I'm doing this before or while that show, or while that storm is is hitting. And God willing, your animals are all fine. Uh, it's bad when it gets to be so drastically cold, and I notice so much uh, a lot of calving going on and uh, just a rough deal. So may our Lord be with you through those weather extremes. And the bounty of it is that obviously you guys need, so much of the country needs the moisture, but you would have hoped to have gotten it in a different format than 50 50 degrees F below zero and 60 mile an hour winds and deep snow. But that is what is happening to so many. So, uh, my prayers and my thoughts are all with you. Wanted to uh, bring you up on a couple of things quickly before we get in today's show, and then I'll tell you about what's going on with today's show. It's going to, once again, it's going to be a little bit different, right? But that's what you get with this guy from Cat Swamp Road. First of all, on my list here, and I made a list. I, you know I never have anything scripted, but I made a list here so I don't forget anything. Uh, number one is that I had uh, <clears throat> the, the, the two uh, the two bros, <clears throat> excuse me, Sam and Hank, went to be neutered. Everything went very well, thank God, with that. And uh, the doctor looked at at his at Sam's eye. I'm I'm spelling their names because they're over here sleeping, not far from where I'm recording. And if I say their name, they may very well wake up, and that's going to be an issue. So uh, they looked at his eye. And because we weren't successful in giving him the eye drops for the conjunctivitis, and they they cleaned it up a little bit, and they gave him, well, we're supposed to give it to him two times a day, gave him another shot of that, and I've been praying for his eye, and thank God it is much, much, much better. And then on H-A-N-K, he had that fight with some animal, had the two bite marks, bite uh, marks on his leg. <clears throat> I was going to say something, wounds instead of marks. And the doctor shaved his leg there and cleaned that all up and did some, uh, as he put down, minor wound repair. <laughs> I guess it was a repair. And thank God he's doing much better with that also. So I'm um, happy about that. And they're doing well with everything that is uh, involved medically. And the other thing I wanted to say is that... <clears throat> I may have told you this last week or what have you, is that I'm starting the Hot Rod Farmer Giveaway License Plate Contest. And as I always said, the purpose of that is for me to find out where you are listening from so I could better tailor the content of my show. So if you go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, and on the sidebar, there is a tab there to enter to win a free Hot Rod Farmer license plate. And once I, I get going on that next month, I will start to give give uh, license plates away every month. All right. And then, but also is that Fent, excuse me, a division of Fent or the division of Agco Fent is coming on board and doing some sponsorship with the radio show. 
which I'm very, very happy about. That's beautiful machinery. And they are, I'm getting into a contest with them not to win a tractor or a combine, but to win a die cast model. So you have a two for one deal there. You fill out the form for the Hot Rod Farmer license plate, send that in. Let me know where you're listening from. If you want to tell me a little bit about your operation, that's I would love that. If you choose not to, that is fine also. And you will get into a, the contest for both the license plate and a die cast fent model. And it's going to be four models because I'm featuring four pieces of equipment on the show, on the radio show. And <clears throat> so it's going to be the uh, Rogator sprayer, the mom- Momentum planter, and then also the uh, Ideal Combine and the entire line of fent tractors. So there's four models, one representing each of those. So please send me an e- send that in. <clears throat> and if you don't go to the go to the website to fill that out, you could send me an email at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. But it is so much more efficient on this end if you just take a minute and go to the website and fill it out because I end up if you send me just an email saying you want to be in a contest that gets lost with all the other emails, then this way we could take those forms that you fill out and we could put them in a certain folder or file whatever the proper computer law terminology is, and then you could enter the contest. So that is why I ask you to do that. But do what is best for you. And the other thing is that I uh, went to the New York Farm Show the other day. As I said, I was going to go. Uh, actually, ended up being a waste of time for me. Uh, 400, I think 430-mile waste of time. Round trip, went for a ride. Because that morning, uh, it was extremely foggy here. And then once I got about, well, we're, we're Interstate 80, 80, Interstate 80 meets Interstate 80, 380, excuse me. There was about six inches of snow. It was not snowing, but there was about six inches of snow on the ground from there. At that point, so about 50 miles from the farm all the way up to Syracuse. And there was, the roads were not, they weren't slushy or anything, by no means. Almost there snowed overnight and uh they plowed it but there's but there was a, such a snow fog from the temperature change and the temperature just hovering around 34 degrees which is just kind of uh when you go over those bridges that they could get icy but thank god they didn't i didn't see any accidents nor did i feel any slippery spots with my little fiesta but it was so foggy you could not see it took me almost a little bit more than five hours about five and a quarter hours to get there and uh by the time i got there there was just a, you, when you drive five hours five and a half hours in dense fog with potentially icy roads you uh i was i went into the one building looked around at some equipment and i said to myself well you know the weather is supposed to get warmer but if it takes me five hours to come home then I'm going to be running in the darkness. I didn't want that. So I stayed there for about two and a half, three hours. Only went to one building and I got in the car and I left. And thank God the temperature, the weatherman was correct. The temperature did go up. The fog disappeared. And about 100 miles from the farm, the sun actually came out. And so I got back. So like I say, I went for a ride. It's not the show's fault that uh, that it was a waste of time for me. But that is life. C'est la vie, Right say la vie sometimes you win sometimes you lose and um took off took a nice little i guess it, i guess you'd call it a nice little ride but it, it was a nice ride coming home but it's not fun driving in 
fog where you can only see 10 feet in front of the car so uh, and potential ice so that was basically that so hopefully some of you did get to that show and and enjoyed it right historically it's a good show now the other thing i want to introduce to you and i'm just gonna uh i'm just gonna clear my my throat for a second here i'm gonna uh kill the mic and and put on the dragster If you're new to the show, that's I have uh, just a lot of nasal and throat issues, and my throat collects just a lot of, I guess it's phlegm, and my voice gets all <laughs> gurgly. My wife keeps saying, clear your throat, clear your throat. Now I'm doing the show, but uh, hopefully God willing can eventually take care of that medical condition. But I thank you for putting up with me with that. And if you are new to the show, that's what that's all about. So what I'm excited about doing, because uh, I said I want to do a lot of new things in 2023 for both the podcasts, uh, Idle Chatter, the On the Road podcast, the short shows, everything, and for my show, Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM. And as I've said before, I know we have overlapped that some people listen to both, some people listen to one or the other. And if you don't have Sirius XM, that's no worries. You could always go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com and click on the tab FMD radio and you could always hear those shows there albeit one week after they air on rural radio Sirius XM channel 147 but there they are inventoried for for I I say for perpetuality but as a Christian I know that there is no such thing as truly perpetuality other than after you go to be with the Lord so in this world there is not but there, there is they do not expire up there so the important thing here is that i want to invite all of you and i want this then this will be airing on my radio show not on the podcast but like i said you can always go there and listen to it uh, after it airs is that i want i'm asking the audience to reach out to me and I want to start to do some episodes, I'm not going to do them all the time, some episodes. And if, you know, Farm Machinery Digest, right? Hot Rod Farmer, what's one of the most important things other than the machinery? Well, there's a place, a shop to work. So what I want to do is I want to invite you to reach out to me. And I want to uh, potentially bring you on to the radio show. It'll be over the telephone so you don't have to worry about traveling or anything. And I want to talk about your farm shop, how you set up your farm shop. Are you building a new farm shop? What do you like about your farm shop? What don't you like about your farm shop? And everything of that nature because the farm shop is such a key, important element of everybody's agricultural operation. And it's a huge investment, and it's meant to investment that's going to be amortized over many, 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 many decades, not even years, but decades. So is that I want to try to bring that segment, but I need your help. I need the audience from Idle Chatter, and I need the audience from Farm Machinery Digest Radio because I don't have a farm shop like that. So I want to bring your experiences and you telling the audience about your shop. So please reach out to me, and uh, we'll hopefully plan in the next month or two to at least do an episode on the radio show about the farm shops. All righty. Now, the last thing is what today's show is going to be about. And as I said, it's going, to, it's, it's going to be a little bit different, but not different in a sense like I've never done it this way before. So, uh, 
As all of, of most of you know that I write for car magazines and, and I write a column in Hemmings Muscle Machines called Ask Ray, and I've, I've done that for, for more years than I care to admit. And I, uh, and I have a lot of people write to me there, and obviously they're automotive questions. Every once in a while, I do get a listener uh, that is or a reader of that that is a farmer and he's a listener to the show and they write to me about farm equipment but i usually don't put that in the magazine because i don't know how happy hemmings would be about that so but they my column and hemmings ask ray which has been going on since 1998 uh it used to run sometimes three pages two and a half pages two pages what have you uh, and the, the magazine has cut down their pages uh, just due to economic situation. So, f- from, so they're not—they're only allowing me one page. And uh, if you get that magazine, like many magazines, you'll notice that the page count has shrunk. So, Ask Gray is only going to be until further notice is only going to be one page, and it has been that way for probably about the past six months or so. So that means, depending upon the letter the person writes to me and how in detail the response is that I really have to pick and choose who I'm going to answer only because of the fact that there is no not much room only one page and in that type of format one page would probably be just about a thousand to eleven hundred words and they go by character count most publishers go by character count they have with spaces and without spaces and that's probably be about seven thousand spaces with uh, seven thousand characters with spaces so it's it's really not a lot and if the person writes me a lengthy letter then i either have to not answer it which upsets me or i have to cut it down I have to edit it, which upsets me because it takes a lot of time to edit it. And in all honesty, the, the fact of the matter is Hemmings is paying me for not for editorial skills, but paying me for my technical knowledge. So it's just, uh, it's not it's not a good deal. And with that tight one-page format, and I get a ton of letters to that to that column and sometimes they can only answer one a month depending if the if the if the answer is, is lengthy and i've always wanted to give a thorough response i don't want to just oh do this turn the screw and that's a goodbye so so the, the dynamics have changed there so what i'm going to do today is i have a well i have a, a number of letters i mean a ton a ton of them metaphorically speaking but i chose four or five letters that i feel that i could answer here that i i would probably be able to answer them in the magazine and get them into print but it may take nine months or a year for them to get into print and that's obviously no good if you have a problem or if you have a uh, an issue you're dealing with something and you're reading me for years and then i don't answer your letter for a year that's like whatever like giving the guy a, a trans needs a transfusion you say well a year later here's the blood you needed well it's useless right <clears throat> and I, as i said on this show before then i feel 
I feel badly about it because the, I've built such a bond and with that audience over the years, and I respect and honor that bond. Then, and there's always going to be somebody's going to say, "Oh, yeah, that guy Ray's full of it. He, oh, he says he helps, but oh, he didn't help me." And, and they would be correct that that, I, that uh, I didn't help them, but it would be I'd be guilty of that, but with an explanation. All right, I can't. I, I I would love to help everybody, just like I would love to save every animal in the world. But the pragmatic being, I cannot do that. I can't save any animal, every animal in the world, and I can't answer every letter. So what I've done today, and I'm not going to. I'll do this every once in a while, but I don't want idle chatter to lose its focus of being based on farm machinery but the thing is that the letters i'm going to answer today you can take and you can also apply maybe not in apples to apples or oranges to oranges but you could apply to work in any type of machinery and that's basically in essence why i chose these because i didn't want i didn't want to answer a letter well, what cam should i put in here so i didn't you know i want to i, I want what talking about i want to I'm, i got four ten gears and i want to drag racing with 28 inch tall tire so i mean those would have no crossover have minimal crossover benefit to my audience and idle chatter so i'm just going to uh, step away for a second <coughs> excuse me so that is what i'm going to do so i'm going to read the person's <coughs> letter verbatim and i've kind of done this before but you can understand why i'm doing it now and these people uh, have asked asked me a question and hope and i sent them an email because i have their email address because these letters are emailed to hemmings and then the, the email is passed on to me so i sent i think there's four or five people here four or five letters and i sent uh <clears throat> them all an email collectively a group email telling them that uh my answer or my thoughts i shouldn't say my answer because i may not be able to help them i may give them bad information or wrong information is going to be on this idle chatter episode so thank you for allowing me to do that and i'm sure that the people who wrote me the letters will thank you if they could for allowing me to use idle chatter and just to back up on that i had said to hemmings i said to him why don't we start an ask ray podcast i said we get so many letters uh even before they cut it down to one page i can't answer them all let's do an ask ray podcast i'll do it in this format where i'll read the letter i'll expand upon it i'll give the person my my best advice and i said i'll send hemmings the show and then they could post it on their website or their whatever they want to do with it and uh i said let's make a deal and we could do that and i think it would be a, a, a great medium to support the magazine support the readers and give them answers because if you have a problem you have a problem that's why you're writing me not writing me to ask me uh, how the weather is so uh and we could but uh, uh forget about it uh, they don't want to do anything like that so and but it's sad because that it, I think would be a great resource to bring to the audience, to bring to the readers, and that they could get a sponsor for it, and uh, it, could, it could all work out very well for everybody. But uh, I get you know, in engineering, they say NIH not invented here, and uh, so because they didn't think of it, I guess it's not good. So who knows? But <clears throat> without any further ado, I'm going to read you the first letter okay and it is from david d christopher 
and the printer kind of messed up a little bit it's someplace in massachusetts maybe bridgewater massachusetts it looks like i don't know whether the cats the forget about what they do to this printer i have a dell printer for my computer it's been a wonderful printer but these these cats are just like they're brutal on it anyway so i'll read it to you verbatim so it has continuity because i i if i try to edit it out then sometimes it makes no sense so so it goes hello right let's let's begin by saying thanks for writing your column i really enjoy it and learn so much from it I'm having an issue with the auto start stop tech feature in my 2017 Ford Escape. It is a two liter with a five speed automatic. I actually think it's a six speed automatic, but that's moot and approximately 78,000 miles as of this writing. Long story short, it just won't engage properly at a complete stop when at a traffic signal like it should. <clears throat> so I'm assuming dave that you mean that it doesn't start properly after you uh, with the auto start stop feature i don't think it's not shutting off properly i would assume when you release the brake and you look to go it's not starting properly but i really don't know and i did not have the opportunity to get a hold of him so that is how i'm interpreting this this has been a problem for for quite a while now and if anything it's more of a nuisance that i just want to see it resolved the last time it worked was for a brief period in the summer of 23 i guess it was the summer of 22 because we didn't get there yet during an extreme heat wave it's 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 been to the shop three times my dealer has had it twice once in the fall of 22 maybe 20 well, i guess he's got the years messed up here uh it's also gone to my local guy in february of 23 for a new battery that's possible because it's only february now when it's been to the dealer they check the battery and test the alternator but unfortunately the tech finds no issues or trouble codes i've also looked online for related situations or tsb that's technical service bulletins but come up with no fixes that have worked your thoughts on this situation be greatly appreciated thank you dave christopher Alrighty. so from what i'm gleaning here is that when the start stop feature so he comes to a let's say a traffic light the car comes to a halt and the engine shuts off and then as soon as you start to go the engine is supposed to start again and then you run and you go off and the feature i think is i almost every car manufacturer has it for the past five or six years i hate start stop i hate it uh with a passion i don't like it i find it annoying i find it inefficient but that is not the problem i'm not here to espouse on my vert on my thoughts of start stop but try to help dave get this thing going so i'm assuming it doesn't start promptly when he releases the brake and steps on the gas that's what i'm assuming so dave when you listen to this if that is not the case <clears throat> then email me directly from that email address and that goes for everybody that's i'm, I'm covering the letter hot rod farmer farm machinery dodger says bypass hemmings and come right to me and i'll see if i can help you beyond it so first of all let me address a couple of things number one i'm i'm <clears throat> well convinced that you could go into the menu of that 
dashboard or whatever you want to call it and you could go deep into the menu and uh, you could disable the start stop function permanently they have a switch that you could push you could kill the start stop but then every time you shut the key off and turn the key back on to another another driving event it's going to re-evoke the start stop so that's a pain in the neck because i don't get the press cards you got to shut it off i'm not going to figure out how to go into the menu on a press car and shut it off but i believe so you that you could go into the menu where it is in this 2017 escape in the in that dashboard menu i cannot tell you but you may want to look into that and you could say well you know hey that's not fixing the problem it's not fixing the problem granted it's it but the annoyance is gone and it's done with and the start stop is not is is a mickey mouse pain in the neck feature so that basically is that now <clears throat> the thing is that Dave, you don't make any mention of how the car runs. You do say it has 78,000 miles and it's a 2017 and how it runs or how it starts normally. So when you get in the first start of the day in the industry, we say the morning, but it's not really, it could be in the afternoon, right? If you work nights, it's at two o'clock in the morning. But anyway, so the first start of the day is, I would assume that there's no problem with the vehicle starting then. And I'm assuming again that it's based upon the, uh not starting quickly when it when the start stop feature is evoked so and you don't say how it runs otherwise well a couple of things come into mind which may or may have nothing to do with it but then i'm going to get to the part that i think does have something to do with it is that the uh if it has seventy-eight thousand miles and if you have not had run good injector cleaner fuel systems cleaner through it and you know i'm a big fan of tecron uh but something like that and i'm not saying one tank you have to run multiple tanks if you have not done it is that it's very very possible that there is a lot of carbon deposits on the valves on the intake valves and then when it goes to start uh during the restart in after it came to a stop is that it's not starting quick enough because the fuel is being leached into the carbon deposits now you would say well it's going to tend to think why doesn't it do that on the first start of the day why isn't it do it on a hot restart afterwards uh i could not tell you why it why it would not be doing that i have a couple of theories but it would be just a it would be a just a um uh, a series uh, a comedy of events that's causing it but you have to remember also that let's say you go to the you get out in the morning you go to start the car you go to a store and you come back out the car engine's hot and you go to start the engine right if it has to crank another quarter of a second or half a second because of valve deposits and dirty injectors not atomizing the fuel properly then you're really not going to pay attention to that you're not going to notice if it goes and then starts you'll notice if it goes and if it starts uh, i'll use the word nanoseconds obviously longer than a nanosecond but if it's it's so if it doesn't start as quickly but with the start stop feature evoked and the light turns green and you take your foot off the brake and you want this engine to, to, to fire and be able to, to, to drive away then that becomes very apparent any delayed cranking time because <clears throat> extended cranking time i should say becomes very very apparent like a mouse in the house at night when it's very quiet so what i would do is i would run a couple of 
tankfuls back to back of something like Tecron fuel systems cleaner and uh back to back all right so you're going to want to do it and run the tank down and fill it up and run the tank down again and fill it up and see if that helps you all right if it's not, certainly not going to hurt the health of the engine the fuel systems the valve deposits what have you it's not going to hurt that whatsoever it's a good preventive maintenance even if even though if it does not help you with your problem now on to so that could be an issue that's attributing to it because basically in essence what i'm interpreting your letter as an extended crank it's an extended crank during start stop and this is the first start stop letter i've ever gotten in my career so all right now <clears throat> from driving press cars none of my cars have start stop from driving press cars and um gm ford i haven't had any chryslers and some other things but anyway but i know for i believe for a fact i believe no right that's contradictory that the fords look at the stoplight switch excuse me now nobody has been able to tell me and i'm not gonna i'm at this particular juncture i'm not gonna rip apart the bottom of the dashboard to get to a stoplight switch and put a scope on it or a meter on it because i want to respect the press cars that they give me if it was something I could get too easily but what i have noticed with all of the press cards and specifically the fords is that the they look at the transition the change in the brake pedal position so now i do not think as i said i haven't gone in there and looked all right because you can't access anything it's all covered up and i do i think that the stoplight switch is not a normal old-fashioned stoplight switch i think that there's a, there's two components that stops the light switch i believe that there is the this the, the contacts for the brake lights and but i also think there's a potentiometer in there which is a lot which is basically akin to like a throttle position sensor and i believe that it looks at the potentiometer and that's how he evokes the engine to start so because what i've had what has happened is that i've had ford and other press cars and if i was and if i'm at a traffic light and and the engine shut off and i happen to release the move the brake pedal the brakes are still applied but i release the pressure on the hydraulic system by by allowing the pedal to ride up a little bit all right because i don't need full hydraulic pressure against the calipers and everything to stay at a traffic light and hack it down lots of times the engine starts and i press on the brake again and it shuts off so i know that it's looking at that stoplight switch so the thing based based upon that and this being a ford and i i'm 99.9 percent .9 sure that fords look at the stoplight switch now some of uh some of the vehicles don't look at the stoplight switch they look at when you release the stoplight switch and step on the throttle but i believe they all look at the stoplight switch now i think the earliest stops start stops like the hybrids didn't look at it that way so based upon that you may have a stoplight switch or a potentiometer that's i don't think there's an adjustment on it it's probably like i said i haven't looked underneath there but i would look at that a stoplight switch or it's got seventy-eight thousand miles and this but this would fall into the same theory that if 
the brakes are starting to wear and there's extended pedal travel. So the, so is the disc brake pads wear and that's the escape. So she have four wheel disc brakes because my wife has an escape. It doesn't have start stop, thank God. And the, so <clears throat> let's say I'm going to put arbitrary numbers on it to make sense of this. So let's say that you have when you have four you have good pads on all four wheels let's say the deflection of travel of the pedal is two inches as the brake pads start to wear uh the fluid level will drop in the master cylinder and also as they start to wear even more or if a caliper is a little bit stuck you may have travel of two and a quarter inches or two and a half inches. i have travel of four inches all right so that may be skewing it because if it says it has to look for for this voltage on the potentiometer then it's not responding as quickly because the engine is supposed to actually start as you are releasing the brake so i think that the problem is very possibly there and it probably has some dirty injectors and some valve deposits so that is the best advice i could give you look into that let me know what you find and uh and i think that that is where your issue is is uh is is being caused if i am correct in interpreting your letter okay i'm just going to get a drink of water here excuse me okay we're doing pretty good we're only a half hour into the show all righty the next letter is from Greg Zahora. Hopefully I'm pronouncing your name correctly. And he says, <clears throat> Hi, Ray. Thanks for being our go-to guy with automotive questions. If there is one person's advice that I trust, it's yours. Well, thank you very much, Mr. So I'll call you Greg. Back in the December issue, you gave some insight regarding the spark plug gap on Vortec-headed small block Chevy engines. Maybe you could expand a bit on gapping plugs here is my situation i purchased a 330 horse 350 ho small block crate motor for my 70 chevelle wagon (coughs) excuse me that (coughs) they were very nice (coughs) i installed the engine but had a hot rod shop do the initial wiring and startup i never checked the plug gap when i installed the motor assuming i guess that the shop would check such things when they fired it up and got it running properly fast forward 10 years and 12,000 miles this past fall i figured it was time to replace the plugs the car ran perfectly but i could hear my dad speaking to me posthumously who pounded vehicle maintenance into me since i started driving change your plugs at 12,000 miles he used to say I searched the internet and found gapping suggestions from 40 to 45 thousandths. My paperwork that came with the engine when I bought it suggested 40 thousandths. I started pulling the old and original spark plugs and found the plugs to be gapped at 45 thousandths or over. Here are my three, my three uh, questions is is there that much of a difference between 40 and 45 thousandths in the spark plug gap i know you stated previously that the wider the gap makes the coil work harder my second question is could the shop have initially gapped the plugs at 40 and 10 years later and 12,000 and 10 years and 12,000 miles i put on the car since then open up the gap 
like I said, the car has run flawlessly these past 10 years. Any thoughts on where my gap should be set? Thank you for your expertise and keep up the good work. Okay, let's discuss this. Now, the thing is that the gap of any spark plug, I don't care whether it's on a lawnmower, whether it's on an old John Deere tractor, on whatever it may be, right, is what's, that gap is what creates what, what is identified as the ionization window. So the fuel and air mixture is goes through there, and obviously not everything that's in the cylinder, and when the spark uh, jumps from the center electrode to the side electrode it goes to ground right and creates that bridge that what lights off the mixture but it's actually called an ionization event now we call it the lay people call it the arcing of a spark plug so what is happening is that the designed gap of a spark plug in an engine is a cumulative effect of the uh how large the ionization window needs to be for that particular engine cylinder head combination compression ratio all right and also the potential energy that the the ignition coil has so as you take as you take a ignition coil is like a bank you can only put so much if you put so much money in a bank you only take so much out you can't take out more money out of a bank than you put in but so the same thing is with a coil is that you need to be able to keep the spark plug arcing for as many degrees of rotation of the crankshaft as possible that is what the ideal is that is what that is what the goal is now to to jump around and answer your question so when they when they determine a spark plug gap from the oe manufacturer it's based upon those things you know how much of an ionization window do we want and how much potential energy that the coil has if you remember back to the 1975 when gm came out with high energy ignition which was a brand name it's not a a type of ignition which just like kleenex is a tissue paper all right or jeep is a brand name for who used to be an amc product right so the thing is that they had <clears throat> they had some engines, I think particularly the Buick three point eights were uh, eighty thousandths gap, which was totally unheard of back then because breaker points could never fire that, and GM used twelve volts to the coil. There was no step down in voltage like a Chrysler electronic ignition had, which was really Mickey Mouse. To all you, sorry, Chrysler guys, but anyway so it's this combination to answer your question i have your letter here is that the difference between 40 and 45 thousandths as far as the way the engine runs is probably going to be moot whatsoever uh if the engine has a problem and what i mean a problem let's say is that it has uneven fuel distribution i'm assuming this is a carbureted engine here uh has an intake manifold runner leak or a little bit of a leak or the mixture is off or what have you is that anything as far as fuel is going to be concerned is going to cause the um, mixture to be harder to light off so a lean mixture is going to be harder to light off than a than a richer mixture or or a proper mixture because the fuel and air molecules are going to be further apart so based upon that 40 to 45 thousandths is if the engine is sound mechanically which sounds like it is is really not going to be much of a difference the only way that you would true be able to tell what the ideal gap is 
uh, to other than looking at the specifications and hit it in the middle, right? 42 thousandths. I mean, just like on my cars, my Fords, they give you a specification between this and this, and I hit it in the middle. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's basically the way, only way you could, uh, that you'd be, be able to, to quantify whether the engine likes it better or not. And that would also be very vague, whether it liked it, whether it idled better or sounded better or what have you. I don't think you've seen difference. Is to look at the ignition firings on an oscilloscope and you'd look at the firing lines, you look at the spark line, you say, oh, well, Jesus, this seems to like 43,000 uh, better than 45,000. So for likes 42,000 better than 40. But that's that's overkill all right but if you did if you were a scope man and you put and you wanted to pull and have that hooked up and then pull it out and say i'm going to change the gap but you'd also have to realize that nothing else could have changed at that particular point you couldn't have changed the mixture you have to keep something constant all right so basically in essence that is that part of the question now what a lot of people don't realize is that the type of driving you do is going to is going to impact the wear of the spark plug. Now, the, the, the you didn't mention this, but when you took the spark plugs back out, so let's say arguably they were gapped at forty thousandths and twelve thousand miles later they're at forty five thousandths. What you would need to do is look at the center electrode and see if it wore, and that gave you the extra five thousandths of gap because if the central electrodes start to wear you usually see it like round off on the edges or what have you it's going to be very um it's not impossible but very rare for the side electrode to wear to wear it's the central electrode because the side electrode is accepting the spark whereas the central electrode is projecting like you're throwing a ball right that's you have to have a lot of strength in your arm to throw the ball far so you didn't make any mention so if you still have those spark plugs look at them and you could tell and you could see whether they were gapped at 45 thousandths or 43 thousandths and opened up or they uh that's what they were gapped at if the electrode central electrode is nice and square and everything then they were gapped at 45 thousandths or close to it but the thing that i wanted to, to, to stress as i started to say the type of driving that the engine the type of use and this is for a grain truck an irrigation pump a hot rod or 70 chevelle with a great motor irrelevant lawnmower what have you all right the thing is that if you are maybe a lawnmower is an exception but if the engine sees a lot of transient operation transient operation means a change in throttle angle a change in engine speed and a change in load so for instance like i went to uh whatever the farm machinery show the other day in syracuse so i got my car up on the on the highway and i'm riding for five hours right forget about the fog that i said now if you're going in a steady state and just what and the term ford uses crowd the throttle but that's just a, that's an excellent term so you go into climb a hill if you look at ignition demand on any engine it's like a blood pressure on a person it doesn't go it's not constant it goes up and down depending upon the situation so when you're sitting in a traffic light and the engine is idling let's say arguably it's taking i'm making up numbers here uh 4, volts to light the spark plug all right now the light turns green 
uh, and you have to step on the throttle to pull away. You're not burning rubber, you're just pulling away like a little old lady, right? Not the little old lady from Pasadena with the super stock Dodge, but a little old lady going to, going to church, and you're pulling away gradually, then the ignition demand goes up because the cylinder pressure goes up because you have to make more power on in that engine to move that vehicle or move that farm tractor or you have an irrigation pump and a load comes it's irrelevant doesn't make any difference that's why i'm using these letters so the fact of the matter is is that an engine that sees a lot of transient throttle operation you're not burning tie burning rubber you're not drag racing they see a lot of is going to wear the spark plugs at a higher rate an exponentially higher rate than an engine that sees a lot of steady state use so based upon 10 years and 12,000 miles which is approximately 1200 miles a year and the fact that that it's a you know a, a hobby car, collector car, cruise night car. It probably has seen a lot of transient operation. Now, even keep in mind, even if you are sitting in with the car in neutral or in park, and you say to your boy, "Hey, this thing rev vroom vroom vroom," and you're revving it up, you are still spiking the ignition demand. Granted, the amount of cylinder pressure didn't change that much versus hitting the throttle at, or opening the throttle under load having to move the vehicle but you still so the more ignition vaulted spikes and actually it's amperage spikes that it sees across the spark plug the greater it's going to uh, the quicker it's going to wear so just like if you do burnouts with your tires they're not gonna last a hundred thousand miles right all right so the thing is that <clears throat> and the same thing happens as an aside to that is that if you have a car and the person drives that car a lot locally nothing about spark plugs talking about tires and you and you around town making a lot of turns start stopping even though it's not burning rubber it's impossible for the car to burn rubber that idea of the person turning the steering wheel a lot making left turns right turns changing lanes stopping and then believe it or not even as you pull away from a stop is that the tire has more wear to it you're not burning rubber because the tire is grabbing onto the road it has to accelerate and transfer that power even the slowest the slowest car you're going to get a lot you're going to get more wear so somebody like my sister who drives predominantly around town four or five miles she's never going to get a hundred thousand miles out of her tires all right or a taxi cab is not going to get that because of the type of driving it is but it's the same thing with the sparkling so i would have to say if i were a gambling man but i'm not but i am because i'm a farmer so right, but we gamble, we we gamble on the Lord to, to bless my crop and everybody else who's listening, who's a farmer's crop or or animals, is that I would have to say that those spark plugs were probably gapped less than forty five thousands, and over the twelve thousand miles, the gap opened up because the central electrode wore. But like I said, you could look at those electrodes and you could kind of tell that, but most likely the type of driving that you have done is going to wear the electrodes because if it's a cruise night car then that's basically that type of driving is going to constantly be spiking the ignition coil demand and load and thus uh wear that chew up that central electrode quick let me see if i have any other question here um 
that's basically it. So hopefully that answers your question. And please apply that to anything that's, you know, anybody that's listening, apply that to anything that, is, that the wear on a spark plug is really, is, is in, intrinsically linked to cylinder pressure and transient operation. So I'm just going to get a drink of water here for a second. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you. We're moving right along here, I guess, right? Okay. This guy I'm going to save for last that's oscar oscar from massachusetts oh i got more letters here than i thought okay this one has this one is attack and i believe this gentleman let's see it's mike barrows b-a-r-o-s so uh and his uh and his email address says zed he's got a z28 so i'm assuming that he is from our friends up in canada right because they say zed instead of z so uh so mike i think that you may be from ontario but you don't divulge that and i have a lot of listeners in ontario I have a lot of t- listeners in western canada and it seems in western canada don't say that so maybe i'm wrong maybe you're not from ontario all righty so mike barrows writes hello ray hope you are well well thank you very much sir i hope that you are well too god willing i've got a 1968 camaro with factory wiring i just recently noticed that when i put the lights on the tack stops working it's a column mounted auto gauge four wire unit wires go to engine ground tack terminal 12 volt fuse and the dash lighting any ideas where to start any help would be appreciated thanks and mike barrows okay the thing is that's certainly a nice car and uh what I would tend to think, and you know, it's an electric, and I've said this many times on this show, and anybody who's worked on farm machinery, cars, trucks, anything, elect- electricity is funny, all right? But you say it's got four wires, what could go wrong, right? <laughs> That's like tying something on the back of a flatbed or a pickup truck. Oh, this is good, right? This is going to fall off, and three feet later, as soon as you drive away, it falls off. But what I would have to say where I would start if this were my Camaro, or if I had this problem with a, with a farm tractor, with anything, right? Grain truck, irrigation pump, makes no difference. What I would start with is I would look at the ground, but maybe not necessarily the ground for the tack, but probably the ground for the lights, all right? Now, keep in mind that that tack probably shares a common ground. So the, so the ground the ground wire on one of your four wires is probably the ground for the tack itself to work and the ground for the tack to illuminate to light up all right because it's a dc circuit it needs to have voltage and ground so what i tend to think is happening and i may be wrong is that the ground has a, it's a high impedance ground and you have to remember that in electricity things are bullies all right they the hog the pig is going to take if there's a minimal ground or a minimal uh minimal voltage the pig the bully is going to take it so what's basically happening is the amount of i don't the i shouldn't say the amount of ground because ground is ground all right but the which i'll explain in a second hopefully is that what i what i believe is happening is that the the light bulb is more of a ground hog than actually operating the tachometer 
So when you put the lights on, it's stealing the ground circuit, whatever it says. Get out of here, Tagaman. I want all the ground to light my lights. So I think that and that, that and when you shut the lights off, then that ground demand and, and and people have to realize specifically with farm equipment is that that you have a lot of grounds if you have a lot of a lot of different uh, uh I hate to use the word technology. If you a lot of innovations, right? You have coming from your plant, you have electric meters, you have this, you have that, you have downforce, all right? And they, lots of times the people tie them into one ground. So that's like putting a, a big load on a pickup truck, right? So it's all on one ground. So I would tend to think that the ground for that tachometer is faulty. And I mean by faulty, it's high impedance. Now, the thing is that a high impedance ground, so the first thing you would obviously do is do a visual and tactile inspection. I would take the ground off. I would clean the ground itself, the bolt, and also the uh, eyelet that the ground is attached to. I would clean it all up, and I would try it again. And I've said this many times in my writings and on my show, but you guys haven't listened to my show, so this is new to you, is that you have to to properly check a ground. You don't check it with a volt, with a ohm meter. You check it with a voltmeter. So what you basically need to do is you have to go to where the ground is, wherever the ground may be, and you take the positive, you put the voltmeter on the lowest voltage scale, which if you have an auto-ranging meter, then it'll do it, but not be 20 volts or 2 volt scale or 20 volt scale, whatever it has, the lowest one. And the thing is that you'll put the positive lead of the voltmeter on the ground, where that ground is, all right, the ground for a tachometer, and the negative lead to the battery ground, and then you need to evoke the circuit. So in this particular instance, you would start the engine, let it run, and you would check the voltage on ground. You, that's checking the traffic jam of electrons that cannot get to ground. And then you would put the lights on, and you would check the voltage on that ground, all right, so you may need two people to do this, all right, or just have an alligator clip or what, or what have you. But right? the thing is that it's very important. Now, what you should, what you should probably see, and that is less than two tenths, zero point two, all right, on the ground. So basically, that's that's the traffic jam. So you're letting all the cows out of the barn. You're a dairy farmer. You open up. They're done milking. They're going to go out into the pasture. So you have a hundred cows in a barn, but only one could fit through the gate at one t- at a time. So you're going to have this traffic jam of cows. Now you want to have a big gate. The whole the, the whole side of the barn opens up, so all the cows will come out at the same time. So what you're reading, and it's very important on farm equipment. It's very important on everything. The only way that you could quantify whether a ground is efficient otherwise it would be it would be considered to be qualified as a high impedance ground is to do a voltage drop test but i would tend to think that you have a ground circuit problem and the operation of the tack and the operation of the light is sharing the same ground and it's being a hog and saying i want any ground that we have here i'm taking to light up these light bulbs so hopefully that helps you okay the next one here too we got oh we got two more not three more okay that was a piece of junk paper okay the next one is from spencer craft and i don't know where he hails out of but he writes i have been asking around for ideas for my question but after reading your pages for the last decade i would trust your opinion above all others well thank you very much 
I don't know if that, that if you should trust me. But at 76 years old, I've been cruising this car for 28 years now, enjoying the miles and the smiles. Well, God bless you. I'm very happy for you. It now runs the 290 horsepower crate engine with mild cam using shorty headers, but exhausting through a single factory one and seven inch pipe to the muffler. No catalytic converter. So last summer, I pushed it to the floor at 70 miles per hour and held it there for a few moments until I sensed a puff of smoke with an indistinguishable odor. I don't have hundreds for a new system, so I'm thinking of adding a two-inch pipe from the header. One friend says, says wait, wait a foot off the off the header to start all right he, he says he's i guess his friend is saying don't do it right the header go full off the header to the muffler thanks so much for thanks so much for listening p.s i really regret losing my issue that's of hemming's muscle machines with the dude and his cross-country mustang trip i've been coast to coast three times in this car meaning his 84 camaro and i and it really brought back the memories well it's wonderful i'm not familiar with the uh the article about the guy driving cross country in a mustang but i've certainly been cross country many times and it's not the destination it is the journey right the journey and it's wonderful you've taken this 84 camaro all right so the thing basically is is that uh he's that in the subject line it says back pressure but you really don't don't identify that sir uh in your letter you're saying you get a puff of smoke and uh and let me a puff of smoke and an indistinguishable odor all right so basically in essence i would not do anything to the car you've driven it for 28 years you've been cross country many times with it now you have to remember that the exhaust system on any engine the further you get away from the exhaust port on the cylinder head uh, the size and the flow of the exhaust becomes less, has less of an impact because the pipe is being used as storage, and also the higher, the lower the RPM, the less impact it's going to have. All right. So the fact of the matter is, because you have to realize it's all based upon volumetric efficiency. If you're going, you're taking this Camaro to California, and you're cruising 65, 70 miles per hour, and the tack is reading 2,000 RPM, 2,500 RPM, you're only pumping enough air to make enough horsepower to move the car. So the exhaust only becomes an issue at wide open throttle. Right, most people take an exhaust and they think it feels better at par throttle. All right, if you put a a, a, a 502 cubic inch engine in and you add that pipe, then I would say that's probably valid. But going from the crate motor to a to a 290, well, let me look at your letter, uh, 290 horsepower engine, that's really not that much of a difference. And because of the volumetric efficiency is low, it's really not going to make any difference whatsoever. All right, the thing is that I would do nothing to the car, as I said. Uh, can you pick up a couple of horsepower with a with a more efficient exhaust? Most definitely, if the resource is a restriction. But where were you would pick it up? You'd pick it up near the red line. You're not going to pick it up at 2,000 RPM. And <clears throat> what I basically think that you just smelled, 
and experience was you blew the carbon out of the engine you blew the carbon that the, the the residual that was in the exhaust system i don't know how you use the car now all right does it have a lot of cold starts on does it have a lot of short driving all right is the carburetor set a little bit too rich is it is it uh whatever uh too rich is the choke set too rich i don't would not worry about it whatsoever what i'd probably do is go out on the highway i don't know where you live sir and i'd whack this thing a couple of times and and blow it out don't get a ticket if you get a ticket don't blame me black whack it a couple of times and blow it out all right it'll probably be fine and i would not waste any money on a more efficient exhaust because you have a 80 and 90 horsepower more engine than it had from the factory i would put that money in the gas tank and i would take more road trips with it that's what i would do and make memories so i would not even bother to do anything with that and lots of times people change an exhaust and i'm not saying that there's no intrinsic value in a better exhaust but it all depends on how you're using for instance let's say if i was to put a, a more efficient exhaust on my fiesta to be ridiculous all right and i'm cruising it at 2000 rpm I'm, gonna, I'm maybe it'll make more noise so so i'll think that there'll be a placebo effect oh this thing is powerful listen to the noise but it's really it's really not going to impact it at part throttle and light load and only at the upper rpm so you're 76 years old you've been driving for 28 years stay with it leave it enjoy it the hundreds and hundreds of dollars you'd put into exhaust system and the work i'd rather see you run the wheels off of that thing and put more miles on it okay now the next letter is from mr oscar jones and I have a little bit of a backstory story here. Oscar has written to me about a month or two ago, and then I got back to him, and he clarified some things in his letter, and then I had all intentions of putting it in the magazine, but as I said, is that because of the, uh, the, the, the room constraints, the page, page constraints is probably a better word, that never happened. So... What I want to do is now I'll give you a little of a backstory that Oscar has a 1928 Ford Model A kit car, and in and I'm paraphrasing from other letters that he's written to me, and I think if I remember correctly, he he bought this car and it was partially finished or what have you, but the end problem now, the end result is that he has a problem with the braking system and it has four wheel powered disc brakes so his latest letter to me and and what prompted this is that because he did not hear back from me after i asked him to qualify to to uh, clear things up and uh that was because i had oscar that was because i had all intentions of putting it in the magazine in the last issue but that that did not happen okay so he's writing uh he's he's recapping a little bit i have a 1928 model a kit car i would just like to know what size brake line should i have with four wheel powered disc brakes and with a new master cylinder with a one inch bore the problem i have is no pedal pressure until i pump it three times at least i have a three sixteenths line from the master cylinder to the proportioning valve then a quarter inch from there to there back to the back brake t and then three sixteenths to the front lines also sorry about the last email don't worry about it desperate in massachusetts thanks for any help Alrighty. Well, first of all, when it comes to anything hydraulics, I don't care whether it's a backhoe, whether it's a combine, or whether it's just kit car, 
is that in this particular instance, the piston, all right, in the master cylinder is what is actually creating the pressure. So the pressure to do the work is being created with the piston. All right, the size of the line. So if you have a one-inch piston, you're going to create more pressure given the amount of travel in the bore than you would with a, a half-inch piston. All right, so that's the pressure, and the pressure is what is going to release, uh, or work, I shouldn't say release, activate is a better word, a proper word, the brakes, the, the drum brakes, the disc brakes, or what have you. So the piston is what is going to make the pressure, and then the lines are going to be sized to fill the cavity that is go that it's going to work against so in this particular instance the piston area i has four wheel disc brakes so the larger the line then you're going to have more volume so the piston in the master cylinder creates the pressure the the size of the line the diameter the inner diameter of the line is what's going to create the volume of flow so you could have a thousand pounds of pressure and let's say a gallon a minute it's not rated that way you have a thousand pounds of pressure and a half a gallon a minute if you have a smaller line so i do not recall what pistons or what calipers you have on it but what the first thing I would do, because I know in previous letters he said he had a two-pound uh, residual pressure check valve on it, and I, and I believe in the other letters that he was having trouble getting the system bled, and which is also indicative to a pedal you have to pump to get to to build pressure. The first thing that I would do, Oscar, is I would look at all of the calipers. All right, because this was a kit car, and I believe, and I'm, I apologize if I'm wrong, is that you bought it partially assembled. It is not uncommon for for the person to have put it together and not noticed. I had a guy that happened to me. What happened? A person contacted me a few years ago, and farmer. And he put new calipers, front calipers, rebuilt calipers, not new, on his daughter's Jeep Cherokee. And he didn't pay attention. The auto parts store gave him, there's a left and a right. And the left and the right was only the position of the bleeder screw. So the one castle, he arguably got two lefts or two rights for the front, and the bleeder screw was on the bottom. Well, if the bleeder screw is on the bottom, you're never going to get the air out of the system because the bleeder screw has to be on the top. So the first, the, the highest part on the caliper, on a wheel cylinder, it's not a problem because it's, it can only go in one way. So the thing is that, but, so I want you to look at all four calipers and make sure all four bleeder screws are on the top the top the highest part of the caliper the bore because if it's not if three of them are that way and, and one is on the bottom you're never gonna bleed it and it's and i remember from your previous letters to me that you were having a lot of problem problem bleeding and the hallmark of what you're having here about having to pump it up all right and then to, to it is is indicative of at least one caliper being airbound all right, so that is what I would do first. Now, the next thing that I would say is that this you <clears throat> most, if not all, <clears throat> passenger type of vehicles like that, brake lines are quarter inch or three sixteenths. 
I would not go and replumb the car. All right, if you, the way you have it plumbed, all right, you're going. Uh, I don't know why that you went from uh, three sixteenths uh, to the back, or you have a quarter inch in the front. Let me read this again. I have a, a three sixteenths line from the master cylinder to the proportioning valve. Okay, it's a bigger line than a quarter inch from there back to the to the brake tee and then three no that's fine that's, uh, i mean that's fine you have the larger line <clears throat> going and feeding and then the line is smaller i mean i wouldn't do it again but you could run three sixteenths through the whole thing all right the only thing that basically would happen if you ever size the line too small the brakes are going to work it's going to function is that you wouldn't have as much working fluid so if you were road racing the car that would be a problem you're driving it normally you from what you've written here that's 100 percent fine so i would think that there's a caliper that has the bleeder in the wrong position because it was a left caliber and it's on the right or vice versa that's what i would look at first all right the next thing that what i would basically do is that you can't you know this is like hydraulics and this is the same thing you know for farm equipment all right what have you maybe not the caliper bleeder location but you cannot diagnose a hydraulic system without identifying the pressure so you just you're just guessing then and a lot of farmers contact me with the same thing they have a skid steer they have a they have a piece of farm equipment all right the good thing about a hydraulic braking system is that it's very easy to identify or check the pressure you have to buy and because they sell an adapter and a pressure gauge that goes in through the bleeder screw like on a on a piece of farm equipment often you have to break into the line all right they you have to take the line off they sell adapters that to go in there so on a piece of farm equipment <clears throat> or construction equipment it's a lot harder uh if you don't have all the adapters and a whole three thousand dollar kit then to, to hook it up but on a hydraulic braking system and this hydraulic braking system could be on anything is that you you would you could buy a brake pressure gauge and a line and adapter kit and it's going to go the brake pressure gauge and the, the adapter is going to take you're going to take the bleeder out and you're going to put the brake pressure adapt gauge adapter in there and lots of times they have a quick disconnect on them and you're going to need to read the brake pressures you're going to need two people for this right so but what i would do is that you wouldn't you would i would well in theory you'd want to start the master cylinder but you need a different adapter for that so let's go past so you go to the so let's go to the wheel that's closest to the master cylinder first the in theory the left front right because the master cylinders unless you have a remote master cylinder and moved it someplace else which i doubt so you go there and you, you step on the brake hard and you read the pressure right and write it down go to the next front wheel and then work your way to the farthest wheel across and then you will see exactly what's happening with the pressure you could see if the if you're losing pressure someplace all right hold the pedal down so now you do that so you're on the left front wheel all right let's say you hit it hard you got a thousand pounds now you hold it down and you see the pressure starting to bleed off it could actually be bleeding off back in the master cylinder i know you said it's a new master cylinder but at this particular point without complicating this and oscar you know i'm not going away you could email me we could do whatever but i would tend to think 
that you have a, that there's a caliper there with the bleeder in the wrong position. And if that is wrong, if, if I am wrong, then invest in a in a brake brake system pressure gauge and the adapters for the for the for the uh, for the bleeder screw. Very easy to operate. Very easy to put in there. And when you get some when you get some hydraulic pressure data then reach back out to me bypass hemmings come right to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and if we need to open up a dialogue over the telephone we will all right but i think that you will find your problem i wouldn't be surprised if one of the bleeders is down on the bottom instead on the top of the caliper and that is giving you a nightmare and i'll tell you one thing that's a very easy thing to miss even when you're working on it and bleeding it specifically if i remember that you may have gotten this car partially put together so that is our last letter and i want to thank you so much all for writing to me and i want to thank for everybody that is listening so remember we have the contest for the hot rod farmer license plate the, the die cast fent models they're very very nice they're not mickey mouse I want to start to bring some people onto the radio show. So reach out to me. I want to talk about you. If you're building a new shop, built a new shop, upgraded your farm shop, what you found, what you would pass along, your ideas, your thoughts on your farm shop. All right. I would want to, and that's going to be on the Sirius XM radio show. So we'll do it over the telephone. No problem. I'm looking, I, I think that's very important for me to bring your experience to the, to the audience. All right. And uh, let me see something else I want to tell you. And uh, I guess I guess that's really basically bad. So, gentlemen, these four gentlemen, uh, I I forgot your names. I have the papers here. I don't want to shuffle them around. I hope I apologize for not getting back to you through the magazine, but this actually worked out better. And I appreciate your your trust in me and uh, your kind words, which I don't know if I'm deserving of them. And to all of you, to all of you that are you know are listening. Uh, whether you wrote to me through this year or just a listener vital chatter radio show that i will always do my best to help you and i will always respond to you and if need be we need to talk on the telephone we will talk on the telephone because my mission statement is to try to help you as best as i possibly can so thank you so much for tuning in and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved, beloved America. You have a blessed day, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.